0: Good morning. Today's reading is from Proverbs chapter 15, verses 16 through 18. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. This is the word of the Lord. Well good morning, morning. it is good to see you all Uh, I can see we're all still somewhat, I know we're all a little bit in a food coma from this past week So I'm glad to see you all made it Uh, It all started, um, it started first thing in the morning, didn't it? All the food that we got to eat The gooey sticky buns and the, the cheesy breakfast casserole And it just bled right into lunch and dinner, right? With the, uh, with the mashed potatoes that were creamy and the juicy ham with, with homemade gravy or pineapple sauce. And, and maybe for New Year's Eve, you had um, warm brie cheese with, with cranberry jam, or you had a shrimp cocktail. Don't get me started on the desserts, too. The decadent chocolate cakes, two dozen different types of Christmas cookies. You have all the pies, Apple pies, blueberry pies, pecan pies, all the pies in the world. I mean, we're, we're, we're all rolling in here this morning, aren't we? This morning, in our text, we're going to be looking at two very different kinds of meals. And the Bible doesn't leave us guessing which is the better of the two. Um, I'm going to be looking this morning just at Proverbs 15, verse 17, the middle of the three verses we read. So let me read it again. Uh, to get us oriented. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Or, take the way the NIV says it, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Or maybe consider the way that another translation puts it, A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. As we consider this, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I feel very much the reality that unless you are the one speaking to us, um, we could leave still feeling empty in our stomachs, spiritually speaking. I'm praying that this morning even though we are looking at just a bite-sized portion of your word, that you would fill our souls with it, and that you would nourish us, and that we would leave feeling full on Christ and what he's done for us. In his name I pray, amen. Well, let's look just a little bit at this proverb and and what all it means. I always loved this proverb when I was high school because it was proof that meat is better than broccoli, and even God thinks so. Right. Uh There are two contrasting meals here. The one is a dinner of herbs, which is a, a, a dinner with a meager quality and quantity. It's a dinner just of herbs. And I was always confused when I read this. Herbs? Are we talking about spoonfuls of dried basil flakes for breakfast? or Are we talking about a, a rosemary and chive salad that you're cutting up? It's, it's just a word that means greenery herbs or vegetables, perhaps. The point is that this is not a dinner of delicacies at a Stephen star restaurant like Park. This is a simple peanut butter and jelly sandwich that somebody is eating. And it's just a dinner of herbs. It's just a small amount. Uh, it's a word that's used of just an allowance of food. One person put it as a, a traveler's portion. We're not talking about veggie burgers that are piled high, all kinds of garden food uh, spread before you. It's a somewhat measly helping. It's enough. But it's enough just to get you through the day. That's what it is. But this meal is with love, laughter, friendship, warmth. We've probably all experienced this at some point or another. Perhaps uh, it was when you were a newly married couple. Many couples have their classic first apartment, what uh, real estate describe as agents describe as cozy and homey and cute. In other words, cramped and drab and lacking any sort of elegance, isn't it? And so there they are, celebrating a Friday night in, enjoying frozen off-brand pizza because little Italy pizzeria is out of their budget, right? But they're content. They're happy as clams. They are infatuated lovebirds. They can't take their eyes off each other. Maybe that's you most days. Your budget's tight. You eat a lot of pasta and canned foods, but family life is good. Relationships are sweet. You get along well with your spouse or with your roommates, and you get along well with your children. The real feast here is not food. The real feast here is love, isn't it? You may not be putting on stretchy pants after you've eaten the meal, but your soul is overflowing with satisfaction because of the relationships you have. The principle that we see here is that relationships are infinitely more valuable than possessions. Well, that's the one meal, the dinner of herbs. We also see another one, a fattened ox. This dinner is as opposite from the dinner of herbs as black is from white. A fattened ox is an example of all that is luxurious, lavish, expensive, exquisite, extravagant, a meal where you pull out all the stops. For example, a party that was thrown for a prodigal son would have a fattened ox at it. Or the kind of thing that you'd find at a uh, wedding reception, or perhaps the kind of food that you would have at, oh, say, Christmas or New Year's, and the whole week in between, right? But if hatred is at this meal, it gets spoiled. And I'm sure we all know what this is like. All it takes is Aunt Sally to bring up X, or Cousin Will to mention Y, And certain topics tend to lead to fighting, don't they? Politics, finances, maybe your dinner table has arguments about what's the best type of schooling for your kids or whether the Steelers or the Eagles are the team to go for. Haven't you experienced this? The debate starts, the tension seizes the room, the turkey turns dry in your mouth and the atmosphere is ruined and the whole day gets spoiled. Sometimes, the mere presence of somebody is enough to stir hateful feelings, isn't it? How are you supposed to enjoy a meal with a brother who picks on you all the time? How are you supposed to enjoy a meal with a husband who cares more about other women than he cares about you? How are you supposed to enjoy a meal with a parent who cares more about their job than they care about you? Or how are you supposed to enjoy a meal with the in-laws? All of it, it. For many of us, we feel like we're crawling out of this past week barely alive because family is dysfunctional and falling apart. Proverbs 17.1 rings true here. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Doesn't this reality make us long and ache for Christ to return and to restore and renew and remake all things? I love the two, of these two feasts, the Bible says clearly that the first one is better. If you can choose between having everything in the world but with poor relationships versus, on the other hand, scraping by but with good relationships, choose good relationships. Excellent food is not bad. It's good. But if prime rib is better than a bag of frozen veggies, then love is also that much better than prime rib is. One day in heaven, we will have both, brothers and sisters. But here on earth, God often in his wisdom withholds material goods from us. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he doesn't have stuff to give us. But it's because he's actually wise and caring. He's teaching us to depend on him, and not to rely on the things that we have. For some of us, having more would be a temptation and a snare. Right now, in this life on this earth, we are to pursue love, not fineries. So that's the meal. Those are the, the two before us. <clears throat> Let's think for a little bit about what it looks like for us today and what do we do with that. Well, first, don't let the world and don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that the good life consists of having stuff. Don't be deceived into thinking that. If you're coming into the new year with your cupboards Meagerly stocked with plain food, but there is love in the relationships that you have around you, then you are not the one missing out. It's hard to believe that in a materialistic world. Our culture screams today that stuff will make you happy. Ads are designed that way, aren't they? There's always an attractive person there wearing new clothes or jewelry and smiling. And what's the message? Buy this and you will be happy and attractive and everything that you want to be. And it's just not true. Look at the verse right before ours, Proverbs 15, 16. Better, see if I can get it up here, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. God has designed the world so that relationships, first your relationship with God, And then your relationship with the people around you are far more significant than things. So don't let the devil steal your joy if you are sitting around a simple dinner tonight or most nights, but you love the people that you're with. You'll have eternity to enjoy material blessings. Thank God for the far more important thing that you have, good relationships. And parents, teach this to your children. Uh, A a man named Charles Bridges said this, parents, do you seek the solid happiness of your children? Yes, of course I do. Then lead them to expect little from the world and everything from God. We all want our kids to be happy, but happiness will not come from things that this world gives us. It will only come from pursuing God and good relationships are far more important than things. So that's one thing we take from it. Don't be deceived. But secondly, cultivate good relationships. Spend more time and energy cultivating good relationships with the people around you over gaining more possessions. This year, As you go into this year, consider how to cultivate love, especially among the people that you most intimately share life with. So how much time have you spent thinking uh, about New Year's resolutions? Or maybe not New Year's resolutions, but just goals for this year. Things that you want to accomplish and get done. Projects you want to complete. Books you want to read. Pounds you want to lose. Schools you want to get into. Now, how much time have you spent considering, how can I love the people around me better this year? The people that I brush shoulders with at work, at school, at home, at church, what can I do to love them better this year? Let me give you some things to consider. These are just a couple of questions maybe to ask yourself as you're considering that question. One, you could brainstorm, perhaps with your family, what could I do, or what could we as a family do this year to build up our relationships intentionally? What is, are what is the things we could do? Or maybe you could ask yourself, does the amount of time that I spend at work show that making a lot of money is more important to me than loving my family and the people that are around me? Well, it is better to take a pay cut and to spend the time that you need to with your family than it is to take a pay raise and never see your family and your relationships disintegrate. Or you could also ask yourself, does my schedule, or or does our schedule as a family perhaps, does it show that we think that having good relationships with one another is more important than getting ahead in life and excelling at this or that particular thing? Or... Uh, maybe another question to consider is this it 's no accident that proverbs 1518 comes right after our text: Are you hot tempered? A hot tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. What sets you off? Who sets you off? Could you ask the Lord to help you to be slow to anger this week, this year, with the people around you? So I want us to think about that with life generally. How do we cultivate love? But let me also give a specific um, application for us here in the church as we gather. Uh, The church body is like a family. The Bible describes it that way sometimes. It's like a nuclear family. And we also eat a meal together, just like a nuclear family does. Our meal that we eat together is the Lord's Supper. And one function of the Lord's Supper is uniting us all as one body because we all partake of the one Christ. This is how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what he says. Because there is one bread... Again, talking about the Lord's Supper. Because there is one bread... We who are many, there are a lot of individuals here in this room, we who are many are actually one body, because we all partake of the one bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ, the one Christ that was broken for us. So consider this, if there is division or hatred between us here in the church, that strikes against who we are and what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper together, part of what we're saying and believing as we eat together is this. The people that I'm eating with are my brothers and my sisters. They are holy. They have been bought by the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. They have been forgiven by their Father in heaven, and I am one with them. That's part of what we do. When we take the Lord's Supper, it's why we take it all together at the end. So let me make preparation for the Lord's Supper very practical for us for a minute. Mend any relationships that you need to mend before you take it together. We should be thinking, one of the ways we should be thinking about the Lord's Supper is, oh my goodness, the Lord's Supper is coming up next week. I need to make things right between me and him or her or whoever, because we're going to take it together. That's part of how we need to be thinking about the Lord's Supper. And yes, there are certain situations that I recognize require special time and wisdom and prudence and a direct one-on-one confrontation this week would not help things. I recognize that. But in general, brothers and sisters, Have the hard conversations as soon as you can. And mend broken relationships and don't let them stew and linger and remain broken. By the way, the Lord's Supper is coming up next week. We'll be celebrating next week. (laughs) Here is a to-do item for you. Maybe, Maybe you could think about this with the Lord's Supper, too. If there are no bad relationships between you and somebody else in this room that you know you'll take the Lord's Supper with next week, Maybe you could consider where there is an absence of love Not because there's active hatred But simply because there's just no relationship with you and the other person at all Maybe you could spend time getting to know people who you don't otherwise know I know it is easy for me to find the people I know and sit with them And afterwards find the people who I feel comfortable with Or the people who are like me in different ways And and gather to them because it's easy but again, if we're a family and we want to be around a meal where we share love with one another and we are saying we are all one, then find ways to get to know people around you in this church body that you are going to eat the Lord's Supper with and develop a loving relationship with them. So that's another thing. Cultivate good relationships. <clears throat> but most importantly, as we consider how... how um, How does this this proverb apply in our lives today? Most importantly—is that distracting, by the way? Let me get down. Most importantly, the thing to do is to feast on the love of Jesus Christ. For those of you in this room who are eating a dinner of herbs, remember that just because Christmas is over doesn't mean that we want to just forget why we celebrate Christmas. Don't forget the implications of Jesus Christ's first coming. Christ left the riches of heaven, and he became poor, in order to set before you a rich heavenly feast. Do you know that hymn, "Thou Who Wast Rich Beyond All Splendor"? The first line of it goes like this: "Thou Who Wast Rich Beyond All Splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor." thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire-paved courts for stable floor. Jesus Christ gave up sitting on the throne and having sapphire-paved courts in heaven in order to be in a manger and in in order to be on a stable floor in order to set before you a rich feast in heaven. That God, who invented cotton, and down feathers to fill your cotton pillows with. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head all here on earth, he said. And the king who gave Augustus Caesar and King Tut and Elon Musk all their riches chose to be born not into a rich family, but into a poor family on earth. The Bible makes that clear. And so it's all likely that Jesus grew up eating most nights a meager dinner of herbs so that he could offer you the richest feast one could ask for himself. Whoever eats of Jesus Christ will never be hungry again. Whoever drinks the water he gives will never be thirsty again, which is precisely what we practice when we take the Lord's Supper when we eat the bread and we drink the wine, it is an outward display of what is an internal spiritual reality. Our faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for us. Our faith is like our mouth. We take it, we eat. Believing in Jesus Christ is like our stomach. It, believing him is like eating him. And by his Holy Spirit in us, he fills us up With the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which will inherit a whole new heavens and a new earth if you have it And when we feed on Jesus Christ, he nourishes our souls just like food We we take and we eat and we digest food Believing Jesus Christ believing his promises. It's like digesting Jesus by believing him we get nourished with his grace to enable us to persevere until the end when we will one day feast at the greatest party this world could ever conceive of. The world could not even conceive of this party. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You will experience it one day. Jesus gives himself to us here and now, though, so that we can be content with a brief period of time here on this earth eating vegetables like he did knowing that the marriage supper of the Lamb is awaiting us one day. That's for those of you who are eating a dinner of herbs. For those of you who found yourself sitting around a table full of hatred this past week, remember that Jesus Christ endured the hatred of people and the wrath of his very own Father on the cross because of his great love for you. He knew what it was like to sit around a table with hatred. He had parents who were imperfect. He had siblings who fought. Or think of just the Last Supper. He sat down and ate with Judas Iscariot, who he knew was going to betray him into the hands of people who would kill him. Why did he do this? He did it because of his great love for us who hated him. In our sin, on our own, we would hate God. The one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who alone can give us joy and peace. And instead of loving our Lord, we seek our own desires, don't we? Don't we so often seek happiness in things and possessions and, and everything that this world has to offer? And the result is all around us broken relationships with God and with the people that surround us. But Jesus Christ gave his life, and he offers himself to us, the very ones who hated him. He is our reconciliation with God. He is life and resurrection. He is joy, and he is peace. He is righteousness and redemption. And when we have Christ, we can have contentment no matter our situation. The very one who made us and loves us is with us, and he's taken us to be with him one day. Christ isn't just the way to peace with God, though. He's also the only way of true reconciliation between you and other people here on earth. I don't know what relationships God will choose to restore and reconcile in this life. I don't know. But I do know that nothing is impossible with God I do know that only the Spirit of Jesus Christ can enable you to love those who hate you and who hurt you. The love of this God who gave himself up for us while we were his enemies has been poured into your hearts. And his command to love those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, is impossible on our own. But the fruit of his Spirit in us is what? Love. So, Pray for this spirit to help you to love others this year. And pray for peace and for confession of sin and forgiveness among family and friends in our church. And as you look forward to feasting with joy and laughter and contentment in the presence of God and your brothers and sisters in heaven, you can feast your soul now on the love of Jesus Christ who loves you. Let's end with praying to him. God, this is a hard thing for us in some ways. It is hard to be surrounded with people who rub us the wrong way, who have hurt us, or maybe we hate the people around us and, and we're the ones who are attacking them. We need you. We need your spirit to be in us, and to change us. We thank you though, this morning that it is not on us to grit our teeth and make it happen, or else you will not love us. But I thank you that you loved us before we ever loved you back. Thank you, Jesus Christ, that you're not lying when you said that those who feed on you and who drink the water you give will never be hungry. And we'll never be thirsty again. I thank you that you weren't lying when you said that one day we'll inherit the earth. I thank you that you weren't lying when you said that blessed are you who mourn now, because then you'll be comforted, and who weep now, and your weeping will be turned to joy. I pray, please, that you would give us faith to believe that. I pray you'd give us eyes to look forward to the feast of heaven. God, this world is so flashy and big to us so often. I'm praying that you would make heaven bigger in our eyes and make us look forward to it and long for it. And in the meantime, I do pray for any relationships in this room that need to be reconciled, that by your Spirit you would do that. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.